What is up, Calvary Church? Good to see you. And great to have all of you here. And we've got a great crowd here. We've got some people over on the side, some people in the back, and a lot of people online. It's wonderful to have you joining with us today. You're with us at a great time. We're kicking into a new series. And uh, it is called Next Steps, all right? Count of three. I want everybody to say next steps for me. Ready? One, two, three. Next steps, that's what we're taking in the next few weeks. And the awesome thing about this series is that I really think it encompasses everybody. I think everybody is going to be able to see and relate to what we are dealing with and what we are talking about when we talk about next steps. I was watching the news uh, the other day, actually just kind of listening to it. Uh, in the distance. You know how you're kind of doing stuff in your house and around the house, but you got the news on or something in the background. And I was listening, and they began talking about, you know, the uh, relaxed restrictions and things beginning to open up, and they were talking about travel. And airports are beginning to fill up, and, uh, and people are getting ready to, you know, head out and that kind of thing. And so they had a report on, on, on the news about Memorial Day weekend travel. And the reporter, with all of this inflection and dramatic flair, he says, and travel this Memorial Day weekend is expected to be 60% higher than last year. <laughs> Duh. I mean, is anybody just going, oh my, I wasn't expecting that. We didn't go anywhere last Memorial Day. There was no travel. It doesn't take anything to get 60% above nothing. And, but he was all surprised and that kind of thing. But here is the deal. You can't take a journey of 1,000 miles without first taking the next step. step. Yeah. Now, let's, can, we, can we bring it down to the practical? You're like, I ain't going anywhere. That's, that's fine. You can't walk across the street to your neighbor's house without taking the first step. You can't go a mile without taking the first step. Everything is started with a step. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the foundations of a next step. What's, where does it start for us? How, how do we begin? We're going to talk about integration of the next steps, which means how do we make it practical? How do we put it into our lives, into our spiritual lives? And then we're going to talk about multiplication. And the reason we're going to talk about multiplication is because we serve a God that believes in the exponential. And what I mean by that is you and I, we add, right? Well, let's add. We're going to add this. We're going to add that. God's like, yeah, no, let's multiply. Let's multiply. And God does things in multiplication. And the awesome thing is if we take one step, he'll always come back by taking two. And even then some. And so for the next few weeks, I want us to jump into taking next steps. And I want this to just kind of hopefully hit you where you're at in your journey with God. We, we talk about first steps right from the beginning of life, don't we? I mean, when a baby is born, you know, we, we, we get all excited when they begin to crawl. And, and now, of course, it's just plastered on social media. You know, we're showing the pictures and that kind of thing. And then, and then they'll take their first step. Oh, screams and joy. Come in here. Come in here. You got to see. Them. Do it again. Do it again. Now do it again for mommy. And they take their first step and, you know, their second step. And they're, and they're starting to walk. And we get all excited and we start clapping and everything. Now, at some point, right, in life, that goes away. Okay. We didn't applaud when Vince walked up on the platform. Oh, way to go, Vince. Way to get up on the platform. But, 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 we do encourage next steps, don't we? We've got graduations coming up. We're going to celebrate graduations here in a few weeks at the church. That's a next step, isn't it? We've, got a, we, we've had a, a wedding ceremony that we actually just celebrated, in fact, a couple weeks ago with Viviana. We've got another one coming up this weekend, another one coming up next month, and, uh, and, and that, is, that is a huge next step. You go into CVS and Walgreens, and you will find out that there are companies that are making millions and millions of dollars off of next steps. <laughs> You got two whole rows, right? Forget medicine. What's the next step that you need to buy a card for? Mother's Day's cards. It was, I thought it was wonderful that this year they were only $12 a piece. Um, we, we talk and we, we, we encourage next steps. Think about this now. Think about this. 
You could go into the hospital and have surgery in the morning. And by the evening, they're coming in to get you out of bed and have you take some steps. They want you to be walking as soon as possible, even when you are hurting. Next steps are important. Even when you're hurting, next steps are important. So for the next little bit, let's focus in on what's the next step for each of us to take. And we're going to zero in on a, a, a number of scriptures, but the basis for our talks is found way back at the beginning. Because it is awesome to find that from Genesis to Revelation, God talks about next steps. And, and it starts in Genesis chapter Five, Genesis chapter 5, verse 25. And this is what it says in verse 25. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. 962, just look at your neighbor and go, wow, go ahead. 962, right? I mean... He didn't have a mid-age crisis until 540, right? I just, it's just, what happened? Oh, he went out and bought a convertible. You know, he turned 500. And uh, <clears throat> no midlife crisis till about halfway through the hundreds. 962, when you read Genesis chapter 5, you find that's not off the mark. Most people live in that long. But check out what happened. He had a son. The son's name was Enoch. It says, when Enoch had lived... 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. When Enoch had lived 65 years. <laughs> Just throwing that out there, Lord. Maybe there's still a chance. Anyway, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Well, <laughs> glad he stayed busy in that 300 years. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Wait, what? He only had like a third of the life expectancy of his father. What happened? Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. He walked so faithfully with God, right? I mean, he was so faithful in his walk with God that at some point God said to him, hey, you know what? Uh, actually, Enoch, you're, you're closer to my home than you are yours. Why don't you just come on? Why? Because he walked faithfully with God. And he was in such close communion with God and had such an incredible relationship with God that even, only, even though he had only been around for about a third of his ancestors, God was like, I think I want to bring you home. He never died. He just walked his way into God's presence. How did that start? Oh, you know where I'm going, don't you? With his next step. He had to determine each day, I'm taking the next step in my relationship with God. And Scripture is filled with next steps. Scripture is filled with walking with God. And, and so we want, to, we want to talk about it. Let me, let me start by, by sharing with you how God fits into this picture of next steps, Okay. Because what we're going to find out is that God is such an intricate part of all of our life that when it comes to next steps, he should just fit in with wherever we're at and the next step we need to take. So we're going to start with the first item, and that's this. The very breath that I take comes from God. So if you're taking notes, and I see that some of you are, we'll get back to those note pages pretty soon here, I promise. But uh, if, you're, if you're writing stuff down or if you're online with us and, and writing notes, you could just write down breath and put down God the creator. God the creator. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, some people, they might have a a hard time with that. He took the dust from the ground and formed, well, it's interesting, isn't it, that if you were to ever find or go in, and sometimes they'll have to dig up bodies that have been entombed for a number of years, and what do they find? From dust we were created, and to dust we return. Often at a funeral, you'll hear the very last words, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. From the ground, man was created, and to the ground, man returns. It's not unusual for God, the master creator, to take the dust of the earth and create man. And may I just say something parenthetically? This is a freebie, okay? This isn't really part of the message. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, okay, if you are a a church-going person, Nobody asks you to park your brain at the door, okay? Faith in God is for smart people. So if you have faith in God, you're a smart person. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not. You, you may be here and kind of seeking and looking, and that's fine. But sometimes we, we, we come to some weird understanding that if I believe in God, then I can't believe in God. Science, for instance. It's like you can either believe in the science or... Let me tell you something. Science does not contradict belief in God. Science complements belief in God. Science more and more gives confidence in the belief in God. That, that somehow a master creator formed this world put it together, in my opinion, and this is just my personal opinion, and I know some of you out there go, well, well you're paid for that opinion, so, and I get that, that's fine, you, you can have that, but, but here's the deal, I personally believe that it was a six-day, 24-hour period in which God created the heavens and the earth. The master creator put this together, and science, in my opinion, proves that. Now, you've maybe heard a statement, you know, where somebody, <laughs> God bless them, and in these days of social media, you can put anything out there, if the earth were 10 feet closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. No, no, not really. <laughs> 10 feet this way or that way, not going to make a difference. But here's the deal. The earth is anywhere from, I think, you could correct me on this, but I think it's anywhere, depending on where it's at and how we're rotating and that kind of thing, it kind of fluctuates between about 93 and 140 million miles away from the sun. If you move the earth about a million five closer to the sun or a million five away from the sun, yeah, we're done. We're toast. Here's the other thing. Change the axis. Some of you are like, I had no idea that when I got up to come to church, I would be going to a science class. Change the axis that the earth rotates on. Just change it. You want to know what happens? First thing that would happen is you would lose 50% of farmable lands. We already have a bit of a hunger problem now, right? Can you imagine if you lost 50% of the farms? But that's what would happen if the axis was just changed. Now, some people believe it's just an accident, and that's fine. So let me throw this out, and again, we'll get back to the message, I promise, but I just couldn't help this. You know, when you get into Genesis 1, it's like, man, it just screams, preach a little of this. We talked a few weeks ago about, uh, I mentioned to you um, Da Vinci's The Mona Lisa, okay? So it's not, you know, it's not my favorite painting in the world, okay? I'm not sure I'd put it up on my office, Uh, but First of all, I'm not sure I'd be here if I could afford the Mona Lisa. That's another story. $800 million, okay? So it's a classic. Here's the deal. How many times would da Vinci just have to take paint and throw it up on the canvas? How many millions of times? How many hundreds of millions of times? And maybe if he just threw paint up there 272 million times, all of a sudden there would be the Mona Lisa? you got to have somebody, don't you, who's 
making those master strokes with a paintbrush. He was actually putting that together. I have a, a watch here. I haven't worn this watch in quite some time, and uh, I went and got a battery for it. Yesterday, they put the battery in. It's working fine, and I thought, I'm going to wear this because it's a good illustration. Some, somebody might go in and take all the parts of the watch apart. Just take it all apart, and then just start throwing it up in the air. Okay? Just start throwing it up in the air. At some point, right? At some point, it will come all together and start ticking and talking as a good watch does, correct? I mean, just keep throwing it up. Now, it's going to take you. You know, it might even take you a million years. But at some point, it'll all, you'd be like, no, it's never going to, no, it's not going to work. Why? Because you've got to have somebody who knows how to put the watch together, who knows how to put everything together just right in order to make it work. <laughs> That's the way the world is. And there was a master creator. And isn't it interesting? Some of you have taken CPR. Some of you have taken those first aid classes and you know what to do. And if you don't know what to do, you think you do because you've watched enough episodes of Grey's Anatomy. And so you're pretty sure that you could give CPR if you had to because, you know, all you got to do is plug their nose and then, right, (laughs) breathe into them. And, 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 you know, those of us who don't know what we're doing, it's like, yeah, seriously. But we've got some people here who are trained. We've got some medical professionals, and we've got others of you who've taken the class. And the truth is, someone can be gone, but you can breathe into them. Life, is it any surprise that God would breathe into man? My opinion takes far more faith to believe that everything just happened than it does to believe that there is a God of order, a God of creation who breathed into man the very breath of life. Science confirms the belief in God. Doesn't contradict it. So now you jump to the New Testament. We go all the way to Acts, and you've got this guy, Paul, who, of course, had this incredible experience with Jesus on the Damascus Road, and he went from being a persecutor of Christians to a preacher. And now he's on his first journey, and he is speaking to Greeks, okay? He's in a Grecian city. Now, the Greeks in that time period, they had two beliefs. First of all, that there was no God. So therefore, let's just have a good time. I can do whatever the heck I want because there's no One to tell me I can't. There's no God. The second kind of belief said, we're gods. And so therefore, I will abstain. I will keep away from. I will self-discipline myself. Because by leaving out, by abstaining from, I will find truth. Those were the two mainstream philosophies. And here comes Paul preaching Jesus. And so he realizes the culture that he is speaking to. And as he is speaking into them, he is trying to get them to understand there is a God who put all this together and who brought to us his son named Jesus. And he's the one that can make a difference. And in getting them to relate to that, he says in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, for in him, who? God. We live and move and exist As even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He says, hey, some of you, the poets that you've listened to, the the philosophers that you like, their writings, their literature, it says there is a supreme being. It should not be a surprise to you. He is the one who gives us the very life that we live. The problem with both of those types of philosophies One, do whatever you want. The other, abstain from everything. They're both rooted in selfishness. They're both rooted in belief in only one's self. And Paul's trying to say, no, listen, the reason you exist, the very breath that you take, is from God. It's from God. Isaiah Chapter 42, verse 5 would say, God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone. Life to everyone who walks the earth. He gives breath to everyone. Even your husband's bad breath in the morning. God gave him that breath. 
the very breath that we have comes from God himself. God the creator. Every breath. What about this? Every thought. Every thought comes from God the, the motivator. God the creator gives us our very breath, but God the motivator, he is the one trying to help us design our thoughts. Romans chapter 12 verse 2, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? Think. think. Isn't that interesting? The change begins with our thought process. Then he says you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. God's will is good. We would all agree with that, right? Well, yeah, he's God, so his will is good. But isn't it interesting that the second thing Paul puts in there is pleasing. It's the best place for you to be. It's the, it's the sweet spot, so to speak, right? And, and Paul says the way you get there is changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. There is a renewal that takes place. I, uh, I like a clean car, okay? Uh, I think probably my daughters would say, yeah, dad's a little whacked out when it comes to having a clean car. I just, I like it to be clean, okay? Um, Kaylee got a new car the other day, and the first thing I told her was, nice car, keep it clean. <laughs> clean this thing. Don't let Starbucks stay in there for two weeks. Get rid of the trash. <laughs> Clean this thing. I like a clean car, okay? And, and, and I love springtime. You know, you get a couple warm days. You know the sun's going to be shining, so let's get the car washed. And some of, you, some of you don't even trust those car washes. You're like, yeah, I'll take care of that myself. Uh, but whether you do it yourself or you have it run through the car wash, and then you get it home, and it's still nice and sunny, and you got a little bit of time, so you grab a, 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 a spray bottle of Armor All. And you go in there, and you spray that dash and the middle console and the steering wheel. You get that thing all cleaned up, wiped off, and you're like, yeah, now that looks good. What are you doing? You're renewing your car, right? Sometimes you'll be like, you know what, that's not enough. I need to take it to a place and let them take like three or four hours to detail this thing. What are they going to try to do? They're going to try to make it look like it did when you drove it off the lot. Renewal. Paul says, this is what God wants to do to your life but it starts in your mind. It starts with your thoughts. God brings to us the very motivation that we need to change our thoughts. Why is it important? Because when we change the way we think, catch this now, we change our perspective. And when we change our perspective, we change the way that we live. We change the way we act. When we change the way we think, it changes our perspective. Why is that so important? Because I live life here, right? So my perspective is here. But if I can begin to allow God to renew my mind and I begin to change my thoughts so that they are pleasing to him, then all of a sudden my perspective begins to go up. And I begin to see things as he sees things. I, are you ready for this? I begin to see people as God sees them. I would highly encourage you to download an app on your phone called Chosen. That's what it's called. Is it called Chosen or The Chosen? You could look it up. You would be able to figure it out. Just look it up on your app store. Chosen. The Chosen or Chosen. And it is a series about the life of Jesus. And there have been, you know, so many movies made and, and well done movies. But this one just does such an incredible job, in my opinion, of showing the humanity of Jesus and the way that he reacts to his disciples and the way that he reacts to people and the lessons that he's endeavoring to teach these disciples in how he sees people 
and the way that they see them and the difference that there is there, I would really encourage you to download it and watch it. It's got now nearly two full seasons in, and uh, it's, it's pretty awesome stuff. And you get to see the humanity of Jesus as he lives out his deity. There is no one that can love like God, but he wants us to endeavor to try. And that starts with changing our perspective, changing our thoughts. John Acuff is a kind of a motivational speaker, author, writer, but he's also a believer. And he has a new book out called Soundtracks. And, and the book Soundtracks is about what, what is the soundtrack that's playing in your mind? All of us have a soundtrack. I played you mine actually a few, few weeks ago. Remember, my wife made a playlist for me when she grabbed my phone one day. It's called I'm Not Old. <clears throat> And I have to say, Siri, play, I'm not old. And it then plays this soundtrack, this, these songs that are on my Apple Music, on my phone, and basically what it does is prove to me that I am old, okay? Because they're all songs that are classics, but they're from a while ago. But as soon as I hear that song, oh, it takes me back to something takes me back to a memory, takes me back to a time, takes me back to a season. And our minds are constantly playing soundtracks. And he says we have to change the soundtrack of our mind in order to change our life. And this is what he says. He was talking about how negative thinking permeates our lives. This is what he says. I've got a wave of dread scheduled for this Saturday at 2 p.m. Is that what you did? Or did those thoughts just show up unexpectedly? Not at all connected to anything else you were doing at the time. Those are called broken soundtracks. Negative stories you tell yourself about yourself and your world. They play automatically without any invitation or effort from you. Fear does not take work. Doubt does not take work. Insecurity does not take work. You've never gone 48, 72 hours and then thought to yourself, I haven't worried about anything. I better change that. And then just sat down and decided, okay, let me, let me make a list of things that I can have fear over, that I can be worried about. No, it just hits you, doesn't it? And that's the soundtrack just out of the blue sometimes. He says that doesn't take any work. What does take work? is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. But here is the bad news. You ready for this? That takes work. That takes work, okay? You didn't go to bed one night wake up the next morning, and because you had wished for your car to be completely renewed, it was all done. It was all clean, everything on the inside had been wiped out. Nope, you got to put some effort into that. You got to put some work into that in order to make it happen. And in order for us to change our thoughts, we got to put some work in. We got to put some effort in. You were created in the image of God, full of love, full of of grace. What might happen if you actually started believing that? What kind of a change would that make in your life? Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, from a prison cell, Paul wrote these words to the church in Philippi. He said, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Is your fear worthy of praise? No. Is your anxiety worthy of praise? No. Is our negative thought process worthy of praise? No. But it's going to take some work to get those thoughts from where they are to where they need to be. And the higher you are, the better perspective you have. The higher you are, the more you can see. 
The higher you are, the greater your vision. God, the motivator, comes along to say, let me help you in your thought process. Some of the work that's involved in that, let me just throw this out because this, this might hit somebody and others of you be like, yeah, I already do that, I got that. But Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And sometimes in order to grab God in his fullness, we've got to just kind of set ourselves apart for a few moments, a few minutes, and give him a chance to speak to our heart. Psalmist said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. So sometimes you got to get away. Corey, Corey Tinboom, uh, many of you haven't heard about her, but she is a She's a lady who lived through the Holocaust, and, and she survived Auschwitz prison camp. She watched her sister die in that camp, but she made it through, and she had an incredible testimony of the forgiveness of God that she was able to give even to those Nazi war criminals who had held her captive. And uh, she became an, an incredible speaker for a number of years after she says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because he'll know that in the busyness of life, we will forget the moments that we desperately need with God. Because that's what changes our thought process. And here, here's number three. Number three is actually moments. God the creator gives us the very breath that we breathe. God, the motivator, comes along to help design a new thought process for us. God, the producer, brings to us the moments in our life. Moments that were created just for you. Now, we sometimes share moments together, right? We share, you know, July, we share moments as, as a country, celebrating our culture nation and our freedom and fireworks displays and all that kind of thing. We, we have moments that we share as, as a state, uh, as, as a group of fans, right? When the Detroit Tigers win the World Series in 2032, then <clears throat> we will all get on board and be happy and, and, you know, celebrate. We celebrate sometimes as a church, those moments that we can enjoy together. But there are moments that God gives to each of us that are just for you. And he wants you to see him in those moments. And we would normally look for him in moments of comfort and calm. And he's there. He's there. Sometimes it seems like all you have to do is whisper his name and it's like, man, you can just feel and sense his presence. Some of you maybe will get away in the next few weeks and you'll find your way someplace that you've got and, and you go out there in the evening and it just seems the canopy of stars is so much greater the farther north you go. And you cannot help but think, wow, how did you put all this together? And still you're mindful of me and you have those God moments. Maybe, maybe it's a sunrise or a sunset that you enjoy. Maybe it's just the warmth, the springtime. Lori's been out planting flowers and Shrubs and vegetation and I don't know. We've got like gardens growing in our... So much so that yesterday on our walk with the dogs, which I take with her, she said, you know, I really need to get another water pot. Why? You have one, that's enough. If you get two, that would infer that someone else will be joining you <laughs> to water the flowers and the plants. And uh, I, I don't see why that's necessary. Just stick with one. Uh, but anyway, she, she enjoys that, and some of you are the same way. You enjoy that. It's just getting out there and, and watching those flowers, and it helps you have those moments with God. Here's the thing I want you to understand. There are also God moments in the chaos. You got to work for him a little longer. You might have to make a little effort to see him, but there are God moments in the chaos, not just in the calm, not just in the comfortable. Mark chapter uh, 5 shares with us the story of a woman 
who had, the Bible says it's an issue of blood. She had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, it says in Mark 5, 25. This story is written about in three out of the four Gospels, but Mark gives us the most detail of the story. And he says this woman had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. Now, you need to understand something about that day and age and that culture that she lived in. She was considered, at that point in time, unclean. Okay? So nobody went to her house for dinner. All right? It was like the pandemic that we're on, that we've been on, on steroids. Okay? Everything she touched, you couldn't touch or you were unclean too. Mark says she had gone to doctors until she had spent everything that she had. They had tried everything they could, but then when she ran out of money, it was like, well, you're on your own. Twelve years. Twelve years. But she hadn't gotten better. In fact, Mark says she got worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, oh, the moment started with a thought process, didn't it? She thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. One of the stories says that she actually reached out and touched the hem of his garment. When do you touch the hem of a garment? Only when you're down on the ground. The crowd was so great around Jesus that somehow in her weakened condition, nobody was even thinking about her. And they had knocked her to the ground and she reached out and just grabbed the hem of his garment. And Mark says that as soon as she touched his robe, she was healed. She could feel it. She knew it right away. She was healed immediately. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? And his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing in around you. How can you ask who touched me? Who touched me? Who hasn't touched you? They're all trying to get, we're having a hard time clearing a path for you to even walk. When you read this story in the Gospels, you realize that Jesus is actually on his way to another miracle. He has been summoned somewhere else, and the crowd is just getting bigger because they want to see what he's going to do. And this woman fights her way through the crowd, fights her way through people that if they knew who she was, they would have cleared a path or shunned her back to her home. But she was determined, and from the ground she reaches out and grabs the hem of his garment, and she's healed. In the chaos of that moment, she experienced God. In the chaos of that moment, she experienced God. And he has moments for you whether in the calm, whether in the comfort, or in the chaos, he is there. And it might take a little bit of effort, but if you will look for him, if you will reach for him, you will find him. Let's be honest, life comes from labor, right? Moms, you would understand that, you would agree. They don't call it labor and delivery for no reason, do they? It's labor, but life comes from labor. Success is often birthed from the struggle. Victory comes on the heels of defeat. And resurrection only happens if something dies. But yet God is found in all those When there is chaos, hear me on this, don't slip back from your faith. Step into it. When there is chaos, don't slip back from your faith. And the problem is, as a pastor, and as a pastor's son, and as a minister of music, having been at it now long enough, I could name you the names of people who when the chaos came, they slipped back. 
but I can also name you the ones that stepped into it. And they had a God experience like they'd never had before. And that's why maybe David had it right when he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk, even though I what? Walk. Walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil. It doesn't mean I'm not going to grieve. It doesn't mean there won't be tears. It doesn't mean there's not difficulty. It doesn't mean there's not waves of emotion. But David says, I will walk. I will not pitch a tent and live in that valley. I will walk. Because if I keep walking, I'll see him. I'll see him. His hand will be there. His rod will protect me. His staff will guide me. Got to take the next step. God the creator, the very breath that we breathe. God the motivator comes along to help us restructure, reform, renew our minds through our thought process. God the producer brings us those moments in our life that are only for you. So is it any wonder that when it comes to taking the next step, We need him. We need him. What's the next step for you? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15, Paul was kind of summarizing everything that he'd written to the church in Ephesus. And he says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men and women, but wise careful how you walk. Keep taking steps. So what are the steps for you? Let let me just throw out a few and then we're, we're done. How about this one? For some of you, maybe the step that you need to take in going forward is you need to step away from some crap that you're involved in. Sorry, mom. You're into some stuff, and you need, the the word for you is repent. Repent. And there's a couple different types. Luke chapter 15 tells us that Jesus was speaking, large crowd, and up in the front was the whole group of sinners. That's how Luke describes it. There were prostitutes. Oh, well, they're sinners. We know they're sinners, right? The prostitutes and the tax collectors, well, they have their own category. <laughs> we don't even include them in sinners. They're just, they're tax collectors. Oh, my gosh. And other sinners. And then in the back of the room were all of the people who knew that those people were sinners. And they were self-righteous. Two groups of people, all of them sinners. And all of them needing to push back from what they were doing, from what they were thinking. They needed to repent. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. You're only here temporarily, so don't let the sin of the world envelop you and suck you into its mold. Step away. And, and sometimes, especially the people in the back row, not our back row, okay? I'm not talking to you. But the people in the back of that crowd, you know, the self-righteous, they would say, well, I'm not them. I don't need to worry about it. Cool. Then here's what I'd recommend if you fall into that category. The next time you have surgery, you will be okay if they don't thoroughly cleanse your operating room, right? And there's just a little bit of mold. Just a little bit of, they, they forgot to wipe off the table from the last guy. But that's no big deal, right? Yeah, it's a huge, most of the room is clean. No, you'd be like, wait a second. At the very least, I get a discount, right? I mean, you don't want that. The, the surgeon's not going to allow that. I mean, come on, you've seen enough of whatever medical episode you enjoy to know 
that there can be five minutes of dialogue while those men and women wash their hands. Forget 20 seconds. How about two and a half minutes? Why? Because they know that just a little bit of bacteria, just a little bit of infection can get a lot worse. So maybe for you, the next step is to step away from something that's hindering a bit of your walk with God. For others of you, though, maybe it's just completely the opposite of that. Maybe the word for you is greater, greater. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. That didn't make any sense to those guys. But what he was saying was, look, I can only be in one place at one time right here, but if I go to the Father, I'm going to send my spirit, and I'm going to send my spirit on all y'all. That's the southern translation. All y'all. Going to get my spirit, which means everywhere you go, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. And for some of you, you've, you've known Jesus a long time. But let's be honest, your relationship has not progressed. It has not progressed. You're still basically where you were. And you're just like, well, I'm just trying to, you know. I use this analogy so much it gets old, but just if I can just stay on the porch of Cracker Barrel and rock myself to heaven, I'm good. I'm good. And, and Jesus is like, there's so much more. There's so much more. There's greater out there for you if you will step into it. What about joy? In that same passage of Scripture, Jesus said, I want to give you my joy so that your joy may be full and overflowing is what the text is talking about. I want your joy to be so full that it makes a difference on other people. Some of you have joy when you have happiness. Well, when I'm happy, then I'm a joyful Christian. That's great, but happiness is like a helium balloon, okay? You ever get those celebration balloons, you know? After you buy the $15 card, you go and buy a $20 balloon, right? Fill it with helium, and it says, Lordy, Lordy, look who's 40, or whatever it is. And you blow the balloon up. And the balloon lasts for a while, right? But if you keep it tied to the chair or something like that, you just want to hang on to it, pretty soon it starts seeping helium. And at some point or another, it just deflates and falls to the ground. That's happiness. And if that's you being a believer, you're missing out. Because Jesus says, I want joy to be in you. Joy that is deep. Joy is a root that you plant. And the difference is, when you plant something, it may not be producing flowers all the time, but you know it's coming. You know it's coming. Hebrews would say that Jesus had so much joy that he knew on the other side of the cross was joy that he, he, he couldn't even explain. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's the difference between joy and happiness. Nothing wrong with happy. The coach of Baylor, the Baylor basketball team that just won the NCAA uh, championship a couple months back, when they asked him about his team, he said, you know what we did? We developed a culture of joy. Wow. Wow. Maybe that's what Jesus had in mind. I would like you to develop a culture of joy. And here is the thing, and I'm just throwing this out. I'm just throwing mud. If it sticks, that's on you. Is that how we would describe the church? Is that how the world would describe the church? Well, yeah, as soon as I walked in there, I just, I don't know, there was something. It was like a culture of joy. Or was it a culture of criticism? It was a culture of complaining. That was the church. The culture of complainers. Tall culture of whiners. That was coming from the front row. I'm just throwing that out there. I didn't <laughs> preach that. All right? That was the first lady. 
culture of whiners. Yeah, whiny Christians. Oh, man, I want to be a Christian because they whine really well. No, culture of joy. It's what Jesus wanted to nurture. It's what he wanted to develop. And he wanted our joy to be full enough that it would make an impact on other people. And where does that come from? It comes from love. And for some of you, let's be honest, for all of us, we need to elevate the love. We need to elevate the love. John 15, verse 12, Jesus said, this is my commandment. In fact, you know what, he, he didn't just call it a, a commandment, he called it a, a new commandment, right? I'm giving you a new commandment. Can you imagine when he said that? They'd been with him for three years, they'd watched all this stuff. Can you imagine what they must have, a new commandment. And these guys, they knew the commandments. They knew. They knew the law, they knew what they were supposed to do. But Jesus has given us, a wonder what it's going to be. And he says, by this, everybody's going to know you're my follower. Oh, this is going to be cool. I wonder, I wonder if it's going to be that we'll all be able to levitate. <laughs> this is the new commandment. All of you will be able to levitate off the ground. Then they'll know we're Christians. By the way, that we can go, no, 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 and just kind of... <laughs> come off the ground. And whichever way we tilt our head, that's the way we go. We tilt it to the right. No, 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 no. They're believers in Jesus. That would have been cool, wouldn't it? We'd all just kind of levitate out of here. That's what you get when you follow Jesus. Everybody levitates. Come on. That'd be awesome. No. Jesus said a new commandment I give you. I want you to love one another. I'm pretty sure they looked at each other like, what? That's not new. Love. That's, that's way back in the Old Testament. That's, that's Moses. That's, I mean, love's been around forever. And then he adds part B. In the same way that I have loved you. Oh, that's how I want you to love. See, our, our love, the way we love is, well, if, if you send me a Christmas card, I'll send you one. Do you play that game? I just, you know, I'm just trying to be real and raw. We do. Lori's like, uh, look who we got a card from. Did we send them one? No, no, I don't think so. Get one out. <laughs> you send us a card, we'll send you a card. You buy us a gift, we'll buy you. Let's be honest. We do it in our marriages. We do it, you know, well, if she bought me a birthday gift, I better buy her a birthday gift. And, and you try to keep it, you know, kind of even scale, right? Because we reciprocate. How you love me, that's how I love you. And Jesus says, nope, new commandment. Doesn't matter how you get loved, you love the way I've loved you. I think we all got some steps to take. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. And I know I got to be done. I want to, it's 12, 14, so I got to get you out of here so you can get to, I don't even know where you're going now. Um, <laughs> cracker Barrel, right. <laughs> go to the Cracker And trust me, if you go under these regulations, you'll be rocking on the porch for a few minutes before you get in, okay? You'll have a chance. Just knock yourself out. Enjoy that. It's a beautiful day. Uh, here's, here's, where was I? Um, <laughs> I got to close. Oh, 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 here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So he says, love each other. Love each other. Love like I have loved you. And they're like, we can't do that. And he's like, exactly. You need my help. You need my help. You, you, you can't love the way I've loved you. You got to have more of me. So the very God that gives us breath, the very God that helps renew our mind and our thoughts, the very God that produces the moments, whether in the comfort or the chaos, he's the God that comes along and says, whatever the next step is in your life that you need to take, I'm going to help you. 
I'll help you take the step. Remember, I so want to jump off the stage, and I can't, because if I do, it'll cut my head off on the screen. So I'm staying here for you, plus these people over here will never see me. But i got to finish with this. Do you remember the story we told a few weeks ago about the prodigal son? And actually, we talked about the fact that it was a prodigal father, right? The story really wasn't about the son. It was about the father, And the father who was looking. And what happened when the son began walking home? When the father saw him, the father ran. (laughs) God is just looking for you to take a step. And if you'll take one step, he'll come running in your direction. Because he has been looking for you since the beginning of time. That's our God. You don't have to take the next step alone. He'll meet you where you are and join with you on the journey. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Oh, Lord, I I trust that we have communicated the importance of next steps. All of us have them. No matter where we're at, no matter the season of life, no matter how old we are, how young, how old, whether we're in the middle, whether we have kids or don't, whether we're parents, whether we're married, it doesn't matter. We've all got steps to take, and the truth is in our lives, we can't take those steps by ourselves. And it is only when we realize that we need your strength and we need your help. And you knew that. And in fact, you wanted it that way. So I just pray, Lord, that you would meet people right now where they are and whatever the step is that they need to take, give them the wisdom to know, the endurance to take it, the strength that they need, the guidance. Lord, may they sense your presence helping them as we move through this journey of life, never alone, but always with you. And before I close this prayer, I just wonder if you're here today and there's never been the moment when you have said yes to Jesus Christ. I'm not asking if your parents, your grandparents, I'm not asking if you've been to church. I'm you today, has there ever been the moment when you have said yes to Christ, when you have invited him to come into your heart and be your savior? You can do that right now, right here, right where you are. If you're seated here on our campus, if you're watching with us online, right now this moment can be a game changer for you. Because Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if we believe in our heart, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Somebody needs to make that decision. And if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. You just need to say it in your heart. You don't need to say it out loud. The one who needs to hear you will. In fact, he's moving in your direction already. But if that's you, if you'd be honest enough to say, I need Christ, then I want you to simply pray this prayer in your heart after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I do believe you love me. I do believe you came and died and rose again for me. Come into my heart. Forgive my past my sin, and save me. In the quietness of this moment, if you prayed that prayer, would you just quietly, quickly, between you, me, and God, just lift your hand and put it down. Say, that's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. I invited Christ to come into my life. Just slip it up and put it down. I'm not going to have you stand or come forward, but I would love to pray for you today. If that's you, just slip up your hand and put it down. If you're watching with us online, yeah, God bless you. God bless you. Glad I waited. Anyone else, just slip it up and put it down. If you're watching with us online today and you made that decision, there's a little button that came up on your screen that says, today I trusted Christ. Would you click that button? Just hit that button and let us know today you made a decision. I'm not even going to know your name, but I'll guarantee you that before the next hour has passed, I'll look at that. I'll know that you made that decision and I'll be praying for you. God knows your name. And I will be praying for you. In fact, let me pray for you right now as we wrap up. Father, for those today who made that decision to put their faith and trust in you, first of all, thank you 
for bringing them here. Thank you for bringing them into our, our service, whether they're here or online. We thank you, Lord, that you, you designed it so that their next step would bring them to this point. And Lord, we believe today they trusted you as Lord and Savior. I pray you'd do something tangible in their lives in the next few days to help them realize the importance of the decision they just made. Lord, we're grateful for it. May they know that you love them so much that you sent your son as a sacrifice in their place. For that we are grateful. Thank you for meeting with us here today. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.